Thanks for checking in on this podcast. You are about to hear an inspirational teaching from Caris Ministries. If God has used this ministry to bless you in any way, please take a moment and write to us at amenatcaris.org. We are always inspired and blessed to hear how God is blessing people all over the world through what he is doing here at Caris. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at caris.org so we can continue making podcasts such as this available free of charge. Praise God. Uh, All right. So if you've got a question, you can write it down. If we get a chance, we we will try and answer. Okay. Praise the Lord. Okay, Rose, read, read the... Which one is the first question? What number? Let's go to the gift of the Spirit, okay? The number 13. The word says, desire different gifts. But is there anything, as a believer, we can do to obtain gifts? It says, the word says, there's a word, uh, desire spiritual gifts. Now read the question number uh, 10 as well. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit so are we endowed with spiritual gifts based on our desires for a particular gift however first corinthians 12 4 says there are different kinds all of right so let's look at the text i think this is very interesting i like this question it's the same it's quite similar to the one you just read the previous one first corinthians chapter 14 verse 1 it says Follow after charity and what desire. You see that? What does it mean to desire? (laughs) I like that. To to yearn for spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. So it's mentioned three things over there. There's something our hearts should follow after. That's love. Love, we all love. We all love to be loved. Okay. So he said, go after love. In your pursuit, pursue love. Then he said, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather you may prophesy. All right. Now, on the basis of this text, he says the Bible says desire spiritual gifts. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. What are, let's read it together. Go to the next verse, verse 5. What does it say? There are different administration, verse 6. Verse 6 and 7. Let's read verse 6 and 7 together. Let's go. Did you see that? Um, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every, everyone to profit all. For to one is given. And then verse, I think the verse 11 is the one I should be looking for. But to one, the same uh, distribute. Oh, this is the verse 11. All right, look at the verse 11. But all these works, all these works, all these work at that one and the same self spirit. So, in other words, it gives someone word of knowledge, someone word of wisdom, someone interpretation of spirit, someone, and everyone is finished by the same spirit. But, and then he said, all this is given by the same spirit, but one and the same spirit works all these things. Did you see that? Distributing to each one individually as one. Now, the question is, if you say that it is the spirit that gives according to his will. Now, how then is the Bible saying that we should also desire? That's the question. 
Uh, read the question again. Um, First Corinthians 14, 1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit. Uh -huh. So are we endowed with spiritual gifts based on our desires for a particular gift? So the question is, are we endowed with spiritual gifts based on our desire for a particular gift or? But the same spirit distributes them. Is this still based on our desires or as the spirit sees? Fit? Okay, so did you see the question? Is it, do we receive gifts based on what we want? So like you want to prophesy, then the spirit of God, okay, I will let you prophesy. Or the Spirit of God himself gives it to you based on his will? That's a very good question. I, I just like that question. Now, in the first place, when he said desire spiritual gifts, in other words, you see, I think I've said this here before, the things that you desire, spirit, when it comes to anointings, is the anointing you desire is the anointing that comes towards you or that works for you, that works in you. All right? So most of the time, anytime God is using anybody, Usually, you will notice them, this, they, you hear them say that, I've always wanted this. Or I love, when I see people operating in this gift or this, I've always had a desire for it. All right, so when the Bible says we should desire spiritual gifts, what it's actually saying is that it didn't actually mention that desire particular spiritual gifts. It said desire, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, desire spiritual gifts. But it says that the most, the most important one I want you to desire is prophecy. Okay. In other words, if there's a, a gift you should operate in that blesses more people than any is prophecy. Because then it goes on to say, verse 2, He who speaks in tongues does not speak to men, but speaks to God, for no one understands him. Second Corinthians, first Corinthians chapter 40, verse 2. And then the verse, it's this mystery. No one understands. So if you speak in tongues, it's a gift. But it's not benefiting anybody. All right. And then look at verse 4. Verse 4, that he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. But... He who prophesies, so go to the next verse and see what it says there. I wish that you all speak in tongues, but rather prophesy. It tells you straight why he says you should prophesy. So that your, your benefits will be to people, not to your, just yourself. So on that premise, it says that if there's, there's a spiritual gift you are converting, I want you to actually convert. I want you to actually desire prophecy. Desire all, but that you may prophesy. Prophecy is more. And so now, coming back to the original question, the Spirit of God is the one who, okay, you can desire, I want word of knowledge. Okay, I want to have word of knowledge so that I can just know what somebody's thinking or know what somebody's going through. And some of the desire to be used is not because of people. But can, we, can you imagine all of us said we are praying here, we are all praying, and then you come out and say that, hey, hey, God is showing me. Sister Rose, God told me that uh, someone has paid or is about to pay whatever amount into your account. And then the next day, Rose comes and says that when we're praying, Sister said it makes you feel good. That sister feels very good. And that's not what God is talking about. So it's the Holy Spirit who gives us based on his will, what he wants done. But for instance, if you want to pray in the, in the grace of prophecy, if you want to operate in the spirit of word of knowledge, if you want to operate in the spirit of healing, just to bless people, and you say, oh God, and the, when you are using people to heal, I just find it so nice. I love it. I want to, you to use me that way. Then there are times when that desire is in you, and it's a genuine desire. When God wants to, the Holy Spirit wants to move in the gift of healing, and your system is ripe. When I say ripe, you understand what I mean? Because sometimes there's contention inside you, and God can't use you when there's all kind. But when your system is ready, available, God then will choose maybe out of the three people, he wants to use word of knowledge. Maybe the one who has been desiring so much. Do, do you understand? So it's good to desire spiritual things. Actually, I discovered in the Bible that he who desires the office of a bishop desires a good thing. Now, 
The Holy Spirit is the one who gives. He's the distributor. But when we, we can also desire, and based on our, the purity of our hearts, it creates the conducive environment. One great man of God said, Jesus didn't go where he was needed. He went where he was wanted. There are two different things. So there are places you go, you are tolerated. Other places you go, you are celebrated. When you are celebrated in your place, your gift flows more. In the same way, the gift you celebrate is the gift that is likely to preach through you very well. Got it? Have I answered that question? I think so. If you have a question in line with this, you can just write it down. And then the next one. Um, the, the same, the last one, first, question 4, 5, 13. Read it again. The word says desire different gifts. But is there anything as a believer we can do to obtain these gifts? So the word says desire different gifts. But is there anything as a believer we can do to obtain these <laughs> That's it. When I read it previously, I didn't see what I've seen now. The question is a very... Is there anything we can... In other words, what should we do to receive spiritual gifts? Watch this. We, I think we covered this in, when we were doing class 301. Every Christian has a gift. Okay, it's gifted one way or the other. But when we talk about these nine supernatural gifts that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 4 to verse 9, there are nine. There are other gifts and other places that the Bible mentions. But these ones, uh, some theologians call it uh, the, the nine charismata. They are the charismatic gifts. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discernment of spirit. Okay, word of prophecy, interpretation of tongues, diverse kinds of tongues, gift of healing, gift of working of miracles, and the gift of faith. They are nine. These ones are very strange, unique gifts that no normal human being by himself can operate in it. The other gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, somewhere, those other gifts like gift of administration. There are people who are gifted administrators without being born again. Okay, <laughs> there are people, a gift of teaching, there are people who are gifted teachers. So there can be natural elements of those gifts where there are people who will be naturally gifted with that without actually being born again. You know, there are people who are not born again, but they, they will help you, they will do so much, go out of their way, they naturally. There are some people who are born again and they find it difficult to help other people. <laughs> <laughs> Unless that gift, that gift is operating in them. <laughs> the gift of help come upon them. All right. So the point I'm making here is that the supernatural gifts, which are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the 9, are, no signs can make me know what you are thinking. Or what someone just told you which is upsetting before you come in. No signs can make me know that. But the Holy, that's word of knowledge. But the Holy Spirit, so it takes the Holy Spirit to give that to you. Now, those nine supernatural gifts, Bible says that, verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, they are all given by the same Spirit as He wills, and the verse 4 said, to profit all. So, uh, based on his, his will, the way, so, for instance, prophesy, I can't just decide that today I'm going to prophesy. Sometimes I can prepare myself to flow in a prophetic grace, because there are certain gifts that can be resident upon a person very strongly. Easily. For instance, if you're a prophet, the, word, the gift of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and the word of prophecy operates in you easily. You are in the office of a prophet. If you are in the office of an evangelist, then the gift of healing, gift of faith, and working of miracles tend to easily operate in your life. 
these three gifts because of the office you sit in. So sometimes, let's say I am in an, an evangelist called to with signs and wonders. I wake up and say, no, I'm just going to that church. I just feel like I'm going to pray for some people. Believe God for some miracles. Now, I'm going to enter the office and use my faith to believe God for the flow of that gift. Do you understand that? So, at times, people can just operate like I'm a prophet. I can say, you know, come and see me. I have a word for you. I have a prophesy to you. As though I am going to conjure the word. No, the gift operates in me very easily. So, once I get myself tuned, I can easily flow in it. That's why people can say that. But usually it's the Holy Spirit that operates those gifts. Because no human mind can get it. Does that that make sense? Now, the question is that, um, how do we operate in these gifts? One, the way to operate, I said earlier on that everyone has spiritual gifts. Not just just these nine gifts. These nine gifts, you know who is given to? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 7. Who is it given to? Who is the each one? Why? What's the purpose? To profit others. He gives to you to profit others. Okay. So when he looks at how many people he wants to profit, at what time, he decides who he's going to give to. But then this is the best way to operate in this gift. Make yourself available and ask God to use you. And be ready for God to use you. That, that's, that's the best I can say. And whilst you do that, see, I discovered the best way you operate in certain gifts is by... So many people say, Pastor, but I don't know my gift. How do I know my spiritual? Find something doing. You can't learn swimming by correspondence, can you? <laughs> or, or driving. You have to get into the water. If you don't get wet, you can't. So many people say, I don't know. Maybe my gift is singing. My gift is that. Just get something doing. You'll find out if it's your gift or not. If it's your dream, if you, you start, maybe my gift is um, welcoming people. And it's like every time I welcome people, I am sad. <laughs> maybe it's not, you thought it was. But how did I know, even me, how did I know I'm, I'm good with praise and worship? I just love it. Opportunity, I'll just be jumping, jumping, and doing it, doing it. And I realized that. So I didn't even know I was a praise and worship leader. And any time I get a chance, I'll be leading, I'll be leading. Then eventually, I realized that everyone was letting me do it because anytime I do, they, their flow was easy. So I ended up becoming a present worship leader. Not because, like, I, I, okay, I want one day, when I grow, I want to be a present worship leader. So sometimes people can target one particular gift, and maybe it may not be your dominant or primary gift and calling. You understand? I'm talking about callings. But when it comes to the nine supernatural gifts, in fact, Paul says that desire spiritual gift. Please desire. I don't know why you're a believer. Watch this. I don't know why you're a believer. And you can't believe God for even one word of knowledge. And you're expecting pastors to do that. See what I'm saying? You can't believe God for a word of prophecy. And you say, I've been praying. Anytime you are praying, expect God to show you something. Anytime you are praying, see, when your prayer is always about your job, then you, the, most of the what you see is about your job. When your prayer is always about people, you, to shock you the things God will deposit in you for the people. People you pray about. So you meet someone and you tell the person, you begin to tell the person some things. Now, I'm not teaching on spiritual gifts, so I don't want to go into the detail. Sometimes God will give you a word for someone and you're afraid to say it because you think they will think funny or what if it's not true, it doesn't come. If it's not true, at least there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you'll be truthful and flow. You have a word for somebody and demanding the person to do something, that's the one that is, is not, most of it is false. God said, you are my wife. When, when did he say that? 
See, so when people say, I have this gift, I will know, I know easily, and then they are using it to command and control people, it's actually not godly. All right, so when God gives us the gift as you desire it, and then if you want to operate in the gift, besides desiring, just make yourself available and make your system cleansed. Because if there is sin in you, it's, the Holy Spirit can easily use you. Do you know what I discovered? Even when the Holy Spirit wants to use you, you run away because the Bible says that the sinner runs when no one is fleeing after him. So when the Holy Spirit, how many of you have sinned before? Since you became born again. And you came to church and we are worshipping. Watch this. You came to church and we are worshipping and you can't just flow. And then maybe one day I said, mm, God is showing me something. And I come and stand by you there. You are. <laughs> Lord, Lord, please don't let him see it. <laughs> so most of, most of the time, when people do that, they don't want to sit in front. They want to hide at the back. Back benches. So um, desire it and just make yourself available and flow. And let, ask God to use you. That's one thing I did when I got born again. My, oh, my prayer was, oh, God, use me. Oh, God, use me. What's the next question? 1 Corinthians 14.2 says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, okay. for no one understands him. But 1 Corinthians 12.10 says, Still another, the interpretation of tongues, when referring to the gifts of the Spirit. Good. Please explain why it says that, that there is a gift that says you can interpret tongues, but on the other hand, the word says, he who speaks in a tongue, no one understands him but God. That's a very good question. Do you understand the question? Yeah. When I speak in tongue, no one understands me. Uh, what is it? 12, 10. To another working on miracles, to another prophecy, to another discernment of spirit, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. Yeah, I know for Interpretation of tongues. Now, this is where the. So then, if God gives someone, uh, the question is that. If no one, according to 14 verse 2, when you speak in tongues, no one understands you. Then how then do you interpret what you don't understand? That's all is the, the question. Now, go back to 12, 10. That's simple. It's, it's encoded there. It's simple. They said to another, there was the interpretation of tongues. As I said earlier on, that these nine gifts, no human being can operate in these gifts without the Holy Spirit. Now, every spiritual gift, it takes the Holy Spirit. But these ones... I mean, how can you interpret a language you don't understand? It's, it's beyond your head. So the answer there is actually, first Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, it said, if anyone speaks in tongues, he speaks to God. No one understands him. So then if I'm bringing a message in tongues to you, then there needs to be someone who will also be given the spirit of interpretation, the gift to be able to interpret what no one can understand. That's what he's trying to say. You understand? So the reason why you need to interpret is because no one understands. He didn't say if he said a language, a particular language, a dialect, or let's say French, then he need a Frenchman, okay, to interpret that French to that English brother. But this one, he says that um, a, no one understands him one, and then the other one, he said, interpretation of tongues. And so whatever the tongue is, that someone speaks it. In fact, stay on the verse chapter 40. Let me show you something. That's where the problem is about the issue of tongues. Go to verse, um, I think verse 18. Let me see my Bible if you say verse 18. Uh,
All right. So look, look at the verse 18. Paul says that I thank God that I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. But verse 19 says, yet in the church, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding. That means that five words from my intellect. Intelligible words, like what I'm speaking now. You can understand, unless you don't understand English. But if you understand English, what I'm saying makes sense. If you don't understand English, then what I'm saying will be gibberish. It should be rubbish. You can't get it. Right? Now, Paul says that I will speak some words with my understanding that, that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. What does that mean? If I stand here and start preaching, shakaba, shereba, sekre, sebla, sandala, ekebeu, likiti, maskera, stupa. Now, if I speak 10,000 of that, how can you be blessed? You can't be blessed. So he said, I speak in tongues. Now, people stand on this and say that. That's why, you see, when you go to church, you don't have to speak in tongues. Because when you speak in tongues, people don't understand you. And there's another question. Let me jump. I'll, I'll, I'll come to that very soon. Uh, when you speak in tongues in church, no one understands you. But the Bible says that in fact, the, the, it gets complicated when you go to this 20, 21, 22. It gets, when he said, in the church, if someone comes and all of you are speaking in tongues, won't you think that you are mad? <laughs> go to verse 21 and see. Uh, okay, verse 22, I think it's verse 22. Said, Therefore, tongues are for a sign, for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Prophesying in verse 23. Therefore, if a whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes with someone who is an un- un- uninformed, unbeliever, would they not say that you are all crazy? So some people say that because of this, when we come to church, we don't have to be speaking in tongues. People, because Bible says don't do that. And Bible didn't say don't do that. <laughs> If someone comes to church and we are beginning to communicate to ourselves in tongues, they will run from church because they think, what's going on? That's what he's saying. All right, that's what he's saying. If we are teaching, if I'm t- that's what I said earlier on. In the church, I will teach with proper words than to teach with tongues because it doesn't make sense. So he's saying that, it is not saying don't speak in tongues in church. He said don't teach in tongues or don't communicate to people in tongues in church. Other than that, if you want to communicate in tongues, look, look at verse 25. I think it's somewhere in verse 25. And the secret of revival will be here. Okay, go to verse 26 there. Uh, 27. Uh, okay, okay, when you come together, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, uh, has revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. Go to the next verse and see what it says now. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in tongues, let there be two or three uh, let, there, let there be two or at least most, at, sorry, at most three. <laughs> Each in turn, and let them let one interpret. So, for instance, if I'm going to communicate to, in tongues, then there must be someone with the gift to interpret what I'm the rubbish I'm saying. Because so, if God is giving me a word to you in tongues, now there must be someone. Let's say if these 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 three guys are gifted with this interpretation. All of them shouldn't get up and interpret at the same time because no one will hear them. So he said that in terms, you interpret. When you feel this one will interpret, that's what he said. He doesn't say we shouldn't speak in tongues in church. Okay? And so because tongues cannot be understood by anybody, that is why there needs to be that gift to interpret so long as tongues is going to come as prophecy to people. <laughs> All right? But if it's not going as prophecy to people and it's just your prayer, why must someone interpret your prayer? <laughs> Does that make sense? Now, there is, there's another question there, which, look at Acts chapter 2, verse 4. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Go to the next verse. Some devout Jews travel from all over, dwell in Jerusalem. Go to verse 6. Let me show you something. And when, and when, the sound, when, when they saw the multitude came together and were confused because they heard them speak in their own language. Now, these guys, verse 4, they were speaking in tongues. But verse 6, the crowd outside could hear their languages. So now, people stand on that to say that if you speak in tongues and people don't hear it, it's not proper tongues. Because the first one, people could understand from that text. So somebody will say that if you speak in tongues, I'm not. But the only reason I speak in tongues is First Corinthians chapter 4, verse, chapter 14, verse 2 says, if I speak in tongues, no one understands me. So then how do you, imagine, uh, how do you reconcile that with this? Actually, it didn't say, it did, not, it did not say that they spoke in their language. What did he say? The, the miracle was more with the hearing than the language. Now, watch this. Look at this. If uh, no, not all of us. If the, only the sec- section of those of us here begin to speak uh, in different languages, or everybody is speaking the same language, but everybody is saying something, how would you hear what they are saying? They are saying at the same time. You hear. Do you know what I'm saying? You hear what they are, they are, everyone is saying. You hear different, different things, so it's like a cophony. So they, and this one, 120 people praying, and the Holy Ghost came on them, and they were praying, and people said they were drunk. And so they said, why, why are these guys drunk so early in the morning? And Peter said, no, this, we are not drunk. Verse 17 says that, and then Peter explained to them verse, from verse 17 that this is what Joel spoke about. All right, so we are not drunk because they thought they were drunk because they heard them speaking in a lot of different, different languages. Now, the point here is that, so what's the difference between, watch this, this is well, what's the difference between these tongues and the other, other, other tongues? In verse 4, actually, there's a very interesting thing there Bible says that in the verse 4, and they all began to speak with what? Other tongues. Other tongues, which is different from unknown tongues or strange tongues. But I strongly believe that the miracle was with the hearing more than just the speaking. All right. So if you want to hear, you have to understand the tongues I speak, just Pray to God to open your ears. I've not done anything wrong. Unless I tell you God gave me a message to you in tongues, then that same God who gave me a message must give me the interpretation, must bring someone to give the interpretation. I don't want Because what, what, how would it profit the one listening to you? All right. What's the other question? Pastor, a gift of the Spirit is speaking in different kinds of tongues. How is this different from when a believer receives baptism of the Spirit and speaks in tongues? And also, is it possible for a Christian to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not have the gift of tongue speak? Okay, I like that question. Now, that makes us go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, I think, verse 8 or 9. Let's look at verse 8. Okay, verse 9 and then verse 10. All right. Now, verse 10 talks about how one of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us is, um, besides the descending of spirit, to, to another different kinds of tongues. Okay? This is a very good question. It can be very technical, but I believe I have the answer for whoever asked the question. A very good question. Different, let's all say different kinds of tongues. And now the question is that, okay, to make the question a bit clearer, Let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 
5 and 6. I want to differentiate something over there for you. Acts chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. When they heard they were baptized in the, Holy, in the name of the Lord Jesus, go to verse 6. Look at verse 6. Let's all read verse 6 together. Let's go. They, they, they did what? So when the Holy Spirit came on them, they spoke in tongues. Now, the question here, because Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18 says, I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, the question here is that that, that tongues, okay, that tongues they spoke in when the Holy Spirit came upon them and Paul said he speaks in. How different is it from that other tongues that 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse um, 10, 10 talks about different kinds of tongues. Do you understand it? Is it different from the tongues that, in other words, when I receive Holy Spirit baptism and I'm beginning to speak in tongues like we all do usually, shaka mama, shaka mama, shaka mama, is this the different kind of tongue he's talking about? If it's not a different kind of tongue he's talking about, so what's the difference between shalabababa and that one? Which one is that then? Because remember I said, can you imagine, how many of you can speak in tongues? Yes. Right up anyway, anyway. Loud. Okay, that's her tongue. Okay. Can I hear someone from there? He said, Makarata. Makarabata. Okay. Shantala. He said, we are, we are, our tongues are all different. <laughs> Now, but why did I say that? Did you realize that I said something about the gift of the Holy Spirit that you just don't just get up and operate? It takes a supernatural influence, like word of knowledge, word of wisdom. So this one, how come that we... I can stop. I can ask somebody. So then, is this the Holy Spirit or you speak it at will? Now, what we do is called, the Greek is glossolalia, which is the prayer language. You pray at will. You don't need any special, you know what I'm talking about. So you pray at will. So it's called glossolalia. It's prayer language. But then the gift is a different kind of languages. It happens a lot to missionaries sometimes. A missionary in, in, in South Korea goes there, all of a sudden realizes that he's talking and then begins to preach in their language. Then when he finished, he said, wow. People say, well, you to, I didn't even know. Oh, that's, 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 that's supernatural. That is super, that's a different language you don't even know. You've never been. But you see what I'm saying? Different kinds of. Anytime you see the word tongues, I think it's also safer to replace it with languages or language. It, may, it makes it easier on the mind to be able to conceptualize what is being said. So, different kinds of languages. When we talk about anytime, anyone who speaks in an unknown tongue, unknown language, Unknown to humanity. Does that make sense? All right. What's the next question? Have you finished the spiritual ones? All right. Read the question again. Is it possible for a Christian to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues? Not speak in tongues. That's a good question. Because in in the charismatic circles, what we know is once you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is what we all believe. And then the next question says, Does the Spirit give every... Christian utterance to speak in tongues. So every Christian, uh, it's kind of te- technically the same. 
All right, once you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, would you be given the utterance to speak in tongues? Or uh, maybe the person is trying to say that the tongues we speak, the tongues we speak, is it an utterance by the Spirit? Because Acts chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says that they all began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, so the question is that the, when we come to church, we are, that, remember that is prayer language. We are praying to God. But they were also praying at that time. And that was the coming of the Holy Spirit on earth, the promise. And so the Holy Spirit came with such magnitude and gifting. And it was fantastic that people were so confused. It got their attention and Peter preached to them. One day, 3,000 people were saved. Everyone who gets baptized with the Holy Spirit, do they speak in tongues? Now, one definite thing I know is that this is an area of a lot of theological disagreements. There are people who are called cessationists. Who are cessationists? Cessationists believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit has ceased. So tongues have ceased. There are no prophets anymore. There are no apostles anymore. The healing has ceased. All these things that we believe in has ceased. It just was with the apostles. And when the last apostle went, he went with all, all of that. <laughs> but, I mean, they are called cessationists. And if you Google my name, I had a debate about two hours, live television debate about seven years ago with someone on this particular matter. So you can Google my name, you find and listen to the debate and listen to their points and then you can find out. But then there are people who believe that Holy Spirit baptism is what born again is. So when you are born again, you have Holy Spirit baptism. So if you are not born again, you don't have Holy Spirit baptism. So you can't say that someone is born again and then now you have to receive Holy Spirit baptism. There are people who believe that, no, it's the same thing. Okay? But it's actually not the same when you study from uh, um, the scriptures very carefully. Now, the question is, can you receive the Holy Spirit baptism and not speak in tongues? I don't think so. I believe very much from the text, from all the scriptures, text, even Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, that was in Holy Spirit. But I realized any time Holy Spirit came upon people, there was some form of prophetic utterance in the scriptures. Any time the Holy Spirit came upon people, there was some form of prophetic utterance. And then in the Acts of the Apostles, what we just read, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in tongues. In Acts chapter 8, verse 15, the Bible says that they let Peter and John went there and they prayed for them, for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Let's see what happened in verse 16. They went to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit and for he had not fallen on them yet and they had only been baptized. See, there's a difference. The believers who had received the word had only received water baptized. So then the verse 17 says that, uh, and they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Was there any sign? Simon saw that by the laying of apostles and something happened. Now, what did he see? Because the Holy Spirit is so spiritual. You can't see him come on people. So Simon must have seen something literal, physical. Now, when you go to Acts chapter 10, verse 46, or 45 and 46, from 44 particularly, whilst Peter yet speak these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all those who heard him, and then uh, verse 40, 45 talks about and the circumcision, as many as had come with Peter were astonished that the Spirit of God had been given to the, how did they know the Holy Spirit had come upon them? Do you understand that? How, how did the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers know the Holy Spirit has come upon Gentiles? How would they know? God, you can't see the Holy Spirit, so how would you know? Verse, verse 46 gives the reason. Four. It starts with four. The reason, four. They heard them speak with tongues. So as soon as they heard them speak, the thing has come upon them. 
or the Holy Spirit, they also received the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 19, verse, um, verse 6, when Paul laid his hand on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak with tongues and prophesied. So from the scriptures, you can tell when the Holy Spirit came, when people received the Holy Spirit baptism, there was always the initial evidence. It's called initial outward. There will always be an outward sign that something spiritual has taken place. Does, does that make sense? Okay, and maybe I'm getting too deep. The, the, the answer is, I believe everybody who receives Holy Spirit baptism receives some utterance, which is tongues, because tongues itself has its benefits. It's a prayer language. It enriches you. There are so many benefits of speaking in tongues. I don't know why the Holy Spirit will not give it to you. When I was not born again, I was told that everyone has got a gift. Some people's gift is speaking in tongues. Other people's gift is playing football. Other people's gift is 70. Other people's gift is all. Yeah, 70 and all that. Some people's gift is drawing. So if you can't speak in tongues, then you can draw or you can serve. That's okay. It's the only, I mean, that's, you, you, you trivialize and water down the impact of spiritual significance. So um, I believe that when you get born again, the next thing is you have to receive the Holy Spirit baptism. And when you receive the Holy Spirit baptism, there's always be an outward sign, which is the, the outward sign, evidence of speaking in tongues. And it's, speaking in tongues is not just, um, just to, for demonstration or decoration, but it actually empowers your prayer language. Because he who speaks in tongues, no man understands him, but only God. Verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4 says that he who speaks in tongues edifies himself. You remember when the pastor was teaching on the radar? When you speak in tongues, you are charging yourself. So it's not anybody you are doing for. It's, 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 tongues. That's why I said, I want you to speak in tongues, but better prophesy. Because tongues blesses you so much. Tongues does. So why would you be Holy Spirit baptized and the Holy Spirit will decide that's why I won't give you the tongues? And Jesus said this in Acts chapter, Mark chapter, chapter 16, verse 16, 17, that these are the signs that will follow those who believe. In my name, they shall cast out demons. And they said they will speak with new tongues. So it's part of the signs that follow believers. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, it comes with it. Praise God. All right, let's move to the next. Question 12. Mm-hmm. How, how do I trust again if I've been betrayed by the very people? Now, if your boyfriend has broken your heart, does that mean you shouldn't marry again? The problem there becomes internal, dealing with yourself, your head. Get over your head. Because not everybody's like that. Okay, what I'm saying? And sometimes I can understand that question. It's a very necessary question. But if we don't take it, well, there's a way we can glorify the desires of the flesh. Glorify, you will nurse your pain. And so, so, yeah, you know, when I was growing up, my parents were not there for me. That's why I like stealing. And people come to church instead of sorting out that mess in your soul. Bible says that receive with meekness the word of God, which is able to save your soul. And grafted word, James chapter one verse twenty one. Receive the word; it will help you, because every one of us is messed up one way or the other. Hello, just that the degrees are varying. <laughs> but but everyone has a problem. Don't you have a problem? <laughs> Am I right? We all have issues. So if you don't take care, you will stay in the mess and thinking that it's justifiable. Whilst you can shake yourself out of this mess, get up in the name of Jesus, say like Shinedu will say, I can do all things through Christ. Who's trying this? It's okay. And someone say, Oh, me, I'm very sensitive, you know. <laughs> I'm very sensitive. That's why I just didn't want to join the ashes. Because if I join the ashes, somebody step on my toe. <laughs> I can't stand this. I can't. Grow up. Just grow up. Other than that, you will sustain any good job or relationship. 
this thing, my, my emotion. It is destroy, destroys people's potentials. You can't be a politician and you are, you are caught crack cocaine and you are fighting everybody. You spoil your office. Just tell them I did it. You know what I'm talking <laughs> Now, you can't be a politician, someone upsets you and then begin to fight them in town. You will lose your office. So, growing requires that we deal with the mess which we have been subjected to through certain relationships. Last Sunday's message was so powerful. She said something that they said, get it on and get on with it. I've never thought about the way she put it. She said that, but they don't, nothing can protect you from the heartbreak, from the pain that comes with the negative aspect of these things. And no one can help you with it. So many people in our societies and communities have been hurt, wounded, because our society and our modern days becoming increasingly materialistic. Now, the more materialistic we become, the more callous we tend to be. Because when you are thinking of saving your job, you may have to betray your friend. Because you're thinking about your, your new... You know. so, so the more materialistic we become, the more callous and insensitive. Have you realized how insensitive we are in our country? Oh, you'll be dying. Somebody will say, I have to. Sorry, sorry, I can't help you. I have to go. <laughs> if I bend to help you and the ambulance will say, I'm, they'll take me to court. So please die. And things like that. We become very insensitive because of all this. So what happened is that People keep growing and becoming very angry, becoming very bitter, becoming very let down. So if you don't take care, you let those things justify your behavior, which is not in conformity with scriptures. That will not help you. And so if you're supposed to do something, let's say you're in church, and then an usher tells you, don't sit here. And you say, you know, when I was growing, my father was always shouting on me. And I don't want to come to church to hear an usher shout on me. And so you, I, you prefer going back with your mess. <laughs> because an usher shouted on you. Humble yourself, deal with this. Sit down, let them keep shouting on you. It will help you. <laughs> but you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I think that, that's a, all right. I mean, ushers are nice. I'm genuine. So please, if someone has hurt you, or you trusted someone and it let you down, believe God for healing, get over it, and decide to move on. Does that mean you can't trust people again? Then you suffer in life. Have you thought about who else can trust you too? <laughs> because human beings are fundamentally flawed. So it takes the help of the Holy Spirit for us all to be straight the way we should be. How many of us are completely trustworthy? Through thoroughly. You, your intentions are thoroughly trustworthy. But sometimes you yourself are disappointing yourself. We are all like that. Now, that does not justify lack of integrity. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. Let's go to salvation question and let's finish on that. On the basis of Mark 13, 13, can the once saved, always saved doctrine, if it is biblical, be applied to believers? We'll come to that. What does Mark 13, 13 say? Let's see what it says. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see that? So your salvation has to do with enduring to the end. So then if you don't endure to the end, that means you can't be saved. 
Okay, we'll come to that, okay? We'll come, we'll, we'll come to that. But let's go to the Romans chapter 5, verse 19 question. That question came from about three different people last week. We couldn't deal with it. Romans chapter 5, verse 19. Let's read it together. Let's go. For us by one man's obedience. Many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience. I, I, just, I just like the way, this is how we should read the Bible. I like that question. The question is that, the question the person asks is, as by one, uh, one man's disobedience, many, the person differentiating many from all. So when we come into this room, we say that many people are sleeping. Doesn't mean all are sleeping. So from that, the person's question is that, that stands to imply that not all are born sinners. <laughs> it's just that many were born sinners. All right, tell me who the many are. <laughs> Uh, who are they all? Now, that's a very nice question. You don't get it. Because he said that, Bible said there are many. He didn't say they all were messiness. Okay. Now, in the first place, when you're reading the Bible, you have to read it um, in, in, in a certain context. There's a key word in this whole verse. I know your mind, it won't care to you. No. No. Four. No. No. I know you won't get it. He said, ask for, ask for. What did you say? What? Say it louder. That is the key to that text. Simile. Comparison. So that text is about comparison. So he's saying that as this came by this so also this. Do you understand that? So it's more of comparison. So it's a comparative language. Now, the many there is not talking about the number of people or a portion. It's talking about how, okay, how many people, when the prime minister goes to international meetings, how many of us in UK does he represent? How many? Are you sure? He represents all of us. Okay. How about your MP? When he goes to House of Commons, how many people does he represent? All. In the constituency. All right. Can you compare that all the constituents to all the nationals of UK? Vast. All right. But they are all representing all. Or they are all representing one to many. It's called federal representation. Now, the text is talking about how Adam was a federal representative. So whatever he did was passed on to us. Now, the, so the point there is, Adam did something, many suffered. Jesus did something, many people benefited. So he said, the way Adam's doing caused many to suffer. The same way Jesus doing will call not only one, but many. So that many there is based on the comparative language. So Adam affected many, Jesus affected many. So now, if you want to know how many people Jesus Christ affects and how many people Adam affects, you have to check. Uh, if you want to know how many people Adam affected, then you have to also check how many people Jesus affected in that context. Now, Jesus affected those who are operating to God through him. Adam affected those who are operating to God through him. And now, other texts teach us to know that if you are not in Christ, then you are in Adam. So then, in Adam, there are many, as many. But you realize that many were born sinners, which means that 
the point here is that through Adam's disobedience, disobedience, so many people, many people were affected. Through Jesus' obedience, many people were affected. So that many is not referring so much as to the number of people, but it's talking more about how one to many, a federal representation, more than the quantity or the size of the representation, is talking about how one person has the right to represent so many. Does that make sense? All right. that's, that's the, let's go to that last question and let's finish that. Wow. The salvation, once saved, forever saved. On the basis of Mark 13, 13, can the once saved, always saved doctrine, if it is biblical, hmm. be applied to believers who quit the Christian faith because they cannot endure some forms of suffering as a result of the faith, unable to endure the end So the question here is, is two in one. But the main question is actually one, which is asking that, can you lose your salvation once you are saved? Will you always, can you, do you always remain saved or you lose your salvation? And then the question is, that, okay, if people can lose their salvation or if people can't lose their salvation, even if it's anything biblical to say that people can't lose their salvation, that's it's encoded in the question, if it's biblical, then what happens on base of Mark chapter 13? Those who have been saved, okay, and yet that, uh, don't, don't endure to the end, because then they will not be saved. And I think today my Bible studies, where was I reading? First Peter chapter, good, let's look at something, this is very important. Ah! First Peter chapter 1, no, is this a No, First Peter chapter one, verse seven and eight. I stumbled across it. Uh, yes. Okay, go to verse six. Quickly. I, I like it. Yes. In this, you were greatly, you greatly rejoice. Though now, though now for a little. Do you see that? For how long? A little. What happens? If need be. What what happens? You have been grieved. Let's, uh, okay, you have been grieved by various trials. So in your work with Christ, what he's trying to say is that sometimes you go through some difficult trials and challenges, persecution and stuff like that. Go to the next verse. Look at verse 7. Verse, verse 7 says that, so that the genuineness of your faith, okay, be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to, to praise, honor, and glory, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, so what he's saying is that when you go through those stuff as a believer, you go through difficult stuff. He says that your faith, if the need be for you to go through, that, that means your faith is being tried. And the genuineness of your faith is more important than gold or material things that perishes. So your, fo- your faith is more important than anything in life. Go to the next verse. Watch this. So he's talking to believers. He said, you believe in Jesus Christ. Who having not seen, you love. Though now, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Go to verse 9. Go to verse 9. Look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith. What? Salvation. Huh? Salvation? I thought I was saved already. So the end of my faith is salvation of my soul. So now where am I? <laughs> Watch this. We are saved. We are being saved. And we shall be saved. <laughs> I'll explain it. When you are born again, the Bible says that for you are... Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. Let's all read it together. This is very good, important. For by grace, hey! For by what? Grace. You what? Grace. 
You what? You will be saved? You are going to be saved? You are being saved? What? You have been saved already? Don't you? So this salvation is talking about which we got through Christ Jesus. Verse 7. Verse 6 talks about how he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the riches of his grace in, in, in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So some things are already taking place, which is preparing for God's showmanship in the end. Okay, And then verse 8 says that, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and it's not of yourself, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. So that means that we have already been saved. But Peter says that the salvation uh, of your soul, the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul, so how about that? I like the way the person puts it. The person says that you are saved, but that doesn't mean you are safe. <laughs> now watch this. The argument about once saved, always saved, is this. Based on this text, what did you do to be saved? What work did you do? Nothing. Thank you. Bible says what? It's a gift. Now, so then, if Sinead didn't pay anything for her to be my child, what would she have to do for, for her to not become my child again. Did you get it? What has she got to do? She was sitting somewhere. I said, don't worry. I'm making my child. All of a sudden, she misbehaves, and I'm not happy. I said, you are, but in fact, I didn't call you because you were behaving properly. It doesn't got to do with your, your doings. It's just a gift. It's like I see you. I give you my coat, and then later I say, you are not wearing it, so bring it. <laughs> but, but why did he give it to me? <laughs> All right. So the point here is that if I didn't do anything to become a child of God, then what I do shouldn't make me become not a child of God. And I was about God, God has his rules. So once you become his child, then when I go, you sort me out. Bible says that the, the child the father loves, he will chastise. He will discipline. That is why there's reward system. When we all go back home, you know what I'm talking about. When we all go back home, some will be, will be, the Bible says that you, will say that you are um, the wicked and lazy servant. But I, I don't think any of them is here. But all of us will hear him say, well done. Some of us will hear thou good and faithful like me, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> and others will hear thou good servant. <laughs> so, when we get to heaven, we will be rewarded based on what we have done. Or the one who will endure to the end. There's a place where it says that he who endures to the end shall receive the crown of... In fact, first, second Corinthians chapter 4, no, sorry, second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Yes, verse 7. He said, I fought a good fight. I think so. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished the, the race. I've kept the faith. Go to the next verse. Go to the verse. See what he says. Now, there's laid, finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. See, with the Lord, the righteous judge will give to me on that day. That's the day of reward. Not what, and not to me only. So, there is a day of reward coming. But those who endure to the end. Now, that saved Mark 13, 13, 
That saved there is not talking about salvation, as in your soul being saved, you becoming the child of God. Because it doesn't take the end of your life to determine whether you are a child of God or not. It doesn't take it. When do you find out you are a child of God? Now, when you, are, when you get born again. John chapter 1, verse 12, it says that many as believe, if you get into the right to become the sons of God, you understand that. So, being saved is what makes you the child of God. When you are saved, you become the child of God. And then, so the point is, can someone lose their salvation? I believe yes, and I believe no. You won't lose your salvation because you are a child of God. But then, I believe that if you renounce Christ, you turn your back against Christ. That's that, that one scripture in Romans chapter, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Before you, you turn your back against Christ. Hebrews 10, that scripture is Christ's train. Hebrew, I think Hebrews 10, 26, 27, 28. Very theological. It gives a theological... Uh, toughness to a lot of people. But if you, it says, if you reject the blood of Jesus, that saved you. There's no other means. So. Is that, go to verse 27, let's see. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 verse 26. Yeah, for, for if we willfully, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there, <laughs> there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Go to verse 27. But a, 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 a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fear indication, we, indignation, which uh, will uh, devour uh, uh, the adversary. Verse 29. Verse 29. Verse 29. How much more? Worse punishment. Do you suppose will be will be thought worthy worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Verse 30. Verse 30. For he, for we, uh, for we know him who said, "Vengeance is mine; I'll pay." So the point here is that if you have received Jesus Christ, and now you said Jesus Christ is not a savior, uh, or that, and even that there are Armenianists. I mean, uh, we have this so Calvinists and Armenians. Okay, uh, uh, Calvinists. Calvinists say that you once you are saved, you are saved forever. Armenians say once you are saved and you mess up. You don't go to the end. You lose your salvation based on sin. Okay? That's, the, that's a major thing that has been going on for thousands of, you know, hundreds of years. Now, the question there is that if you turn your back against Christ, what makes you saved? The blood that saves you and say, no, this doesn't work. It's rubbish and all that. Then, obviously, I, I personally believe that you don't have a share. You have, you have rejected your salvation. Yeah. Gone. I believe. But even that, it still poses a major question to me that God has made you a son. Now you behave so he said he's going to reject you as a son. But God chose us as his sons because of his love. Mm-hmm. I will say God, who is rich in mercies, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, who is rich in mercies because of the love which, with, with which he has loved us, mm-hmm. saved us whilst we were dead in our transgressions. Um, you see, the, the problem is people say that if we say you are saved and that's all, that means that you can me- people can mess up and it makes them disobey God. The reward is coming. The Bible says some people will be saved through like fire. Every work will be tested by fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13, 14, 15. So we'll all be, we'll, we'll, whatever we are doing will be tested and will be judged. Okay? I strongly believe that um, unbelievers, when they die, where do they go? They go to hell. 
when a believer dies and second coming of Christ, we will all be judged. We will stand before the judgment seat of God to give account of what we did with our lives, the life he gave us. But as one believer, you're telling God, you don't have any life. The Bible says, he whose name was not found written in the book of life was casted into the lake of fire. All right, let me take one last question from the congregation. Jesus talking about people working in his vineyard, and despite how long you've been in there for, you all got the same reward. So is there going to be some sort of hierarchy or based on the work you've done? That, that, if you've been re- uh, rewarded? That there are different types of reward. There are the, the what Paul mentioned, the crown of righteousness, and there is, um, Bible mentioned the crown of righteousness, Bible mentioned the eating of the, the fruit of the tree of life, and um, there are different types of reward. And then, Bible actually says that everyone will be rewarded according to his works. Okay, that Bible mentions it very clearly, everyone. He said, be very careful how you build. First um, Corinthians chapter 3, I suppose, verse 12, I believe. Uh, everyone will be rewarded based on your works. You are not saved by your works. But after you have been saved, your works, what you do after you have been saved, will determine what you get when we all get to heaven. And some people will be shocked. They will go to heaven and there's nothing in their name. On the question of salvation, is there hmm. such a thing as salvation of the souls or, or salvation of the spirit? <clears throat> now, in salvation, is three ways. Man is to apartheid, soul, spirit, and body. Now, your spirit gets saved. Your soul is being saved. Okay, and then your body will be saved. Do you get it? I'll explain it. So your spirit is what gets saved. So when you are born again, it's a spiritual thing. But have you realized you are born again and still some things that used to tempt and tempt you and your feelings and wanting that, that old boyfriend, that old picture you see and you still miss those times and funny. Yeah, your soul, your soul. Say the soul. Yeah, your soul is. How does your soul get saved? James chapter 1 verse 21. Therefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with humility, meekness, the engrafted. When you read other translations, it's the implant of God's word. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please visit caris.org or call us on 0207-740-9960. God bless you.